everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Fafality. We're getting closer and closer to the February 10th trade deadline, which means it's only natural that we have an all-trade content episode for you this time around. Uh, Dan and I have each prepared five questions that we have. We're trying to avoid the super obvious ones, like, will Ben Simmons get traded? Because that at this point has been discussed ad nauseum and then some in favor of questions that still intrigue us are still going to have a significant impact on what actually happens at this season's trade deadline and ultimately are just more fun to talk about. But before we get to the trade pertinent questions, I do have one for you, Dan, and that's how's it going? I'm in my God of Sparkles t-shirt, so it's obviously going fantastic. I'm also relieved because as you started talking, I realized I didn't have my mic plugged in. So we almost had another sound quality snafu on this podcast, but not this time because I like a, a semi-pro. What's less than a semi-pro? A step below a semi-pro realized that my mic is I think not that's, plugged that's in. amateur. A- Am- fine. Amateur. Like yeah. a seasoned amateur that I am realized that my mic wasn't plugged in. How are you doing? I, I too have a microphone this episode. Thank you to everyone for bearing with the uh, the Xbox uh, game sound, whatever you want to call it, episode that we we put out last time while I was dealing with some uh, some broken and lack of headphones aside from the gaming headphone set. I, I, I hope the sound quality is significantly upgraded today. We there were some people who liked it last time they said on twitter there were people i don't know why but we appreciated it <laughs> there were some people who didn't like it but even the most complaints weren't I, I tried to edit it out but there was just you were so much louder than i was no matter what i did and so even if like you were chiming in on a thought of mine or if I, it was just um i'm happy you're not in the headset either but i think it was it was a listenable podcast is all i'll say still so look at you you trudged through some technical difficulties we appreciate it i appreciate it but you're looking. What very- is a podcast if not a way to overcome technical difficulties? I have no idea at this point. After doing this for how many years we've we been doing this, I don't even want to think about it. Um, random That's blog a good question though. Like when when did we officially start this? Because we uh like way back when. If you search for like super old hardwood knocks YouTube videos, they're out there. Like where that's where we were hosting the podcast. The sound with like super cheaply made graphics, and yeah, the sound quality is awful and. It was uh, it was an adventure. Look at us now, though. I, We're on- I definitely, I definitely remember one had like Russell Westbrook in an Oklahoma City Thunder jersey. So it was a long time ago. Uh, not really, because Russ, that was like three or four years ago. There was maybe we had like Serge Ibaka in an Oklahoma City jersey. That was a while ago. The thing is, Russ, over the last few years, like he's aged us all so much that you can't. It's not like it's relative, right? Like one calendar year is still like four years fair enough. shot selection alone in the lakers jersey either way as shoddy of an operation as we spearhead here it is noticeably better so much so that we're on youtube and discord and you should subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast but also head over to youtube subscribe to hardwood knocks there follow us at hardwood knocks on twitter at hardwood underscore knocks on ig and our discord link is in the bio we have a few we have a couple dozen people in there already yeah, I have not, not heavily promoted on social media yet. I'm waiting. Still want the straggler. So come join us in Discord. The link is in the bio. So hurry up and do that. I'll also encourage people right off the top. Just if if you want to do us a favor, go ahead and, and follow the Sports Math Network on Twitter. It's at Sports Math Net 
no underscores or anything. Uh, we, we are getting closer and closer to having that full-fledged website up and running. Uh, I believe our technical director, Arjun, has told me that we're targeting a, a launch on Super Bowl Sunday, if not right around then. So get ready for, for stuff about all sports, including the NBA. Uh, we will have Hardwood Knox access on that as well. And we might be transitioning like a lot of stuff over from the NBA math website. So do us a favor and, and subscribe there so you can keep up to date with everything we're doing. This intro is way too long. So let's dive into the, to the questions. I'll allow you to go to first because I'm a good human being, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I have to start with an Atlanta centric question because Hawks fan and all that, and we're now coming off a, a shocking win over the Phoenix Suns. Uh, what's next for Atlanta after the Cam Reddish trade? Because I think in the immediate aftermath, we, we both viewed that trade as just a stepping stone. That was never going to be the only thing that the Atlanta Hawks did at the deadline. And as you so astutely pointed out, acquiring that Charlotte Hornets first round pick was essentially an admission from the Hawks that they believe they can get more for that pick than they could for Cam Reddish at this deadline or else why make the deal? So, so what's next? Where, where are they going from here? It's tough because they've been playing so well. They've won eight of nine now. And during that time, their defense is ranked firmly in the top seven, I think. And look, Onyeka Okungwu, he's helped them. DeLon Wright has been good for a while for them. DeAndre Hunter's return has been a big deal. I think even when you watch Trey Young, just like not sort of disappearing whenever there's a screener in front of him, that's really good for Atlanta as well. I think they have to ask themselves how real this, it's a, it's a snapshot of their season. I know they're at fuller strength than they were before. They have to ask themselves how real it is and whether it's worth just doing nothing or do they need to do something a little bit more aggressive. I still think they're built for a consolidation trade. The thing is, those consolidation trades tend to happen over the offseason, just when it's easier to finagle the lopsided roster spot transactions. I would, if I were them, just be on the prowl for point-of-attack defense. I know a lot of people said they could use a bigger wing like a Jeremy Grant. I guess if the if the price is right on him, I don't mind his fit in Atlanta. I'm not saying he's a bad fit, but I do think point-of-attack defense, like specifically with the playoffs in mind, would be more... Uh, important for them someone who can play in tandem with young and if that point of attack guy also can do that on the offensive end where maybe he can anchor some of the non-trey lineups which if look when it's bogdan Madonovich sort of leading those units without trey they, they have done pretty well so i don't based off this current stretch and just i think even when they were bad we understood that they could still be good technically if they were fully healthy um, that's what I would most be looking for for them. And if you're not, if you can't go to the point of attack route, like getting a Jeremy Grant, where that's not a consolidation trade, but it's still fairly significant. Just looking at all the teams in front of them, the ground they have to make up, and then just who you have to go through if you want to come out of the East anyway, a move of that caliber. And if you need to do something more drastic, and that's where you can look at the John Collins stuff. I just really quickly there, I think John Collins become one of the most underrated players in the NBA. So I wouldn't be looking right there with you. I definitely wouldn't be looking to move him for less than like a star trade or something. I still think insofar as that star trade is even out there, it has to be the right star because you already have so much talent. Do that over the off season, the seismic shit save for the summer right now. Like, can you get a different type of like someone to, I don't want to say like Gallo can still be good for them on offense, but can you upgrade the, the Gallo defensive minutes or can you just upgrade your point of attack defense in general? My dream target for them 
is Derek White. I just, we know how the Spurs are with, you know, their blockbuster deals are trading Bryn Forbes to, to Denver and then getting back Juan Hernan Gomez in a second round pick in the process. Yeah, I think the last time the, the Spurs made a, a trade of note during the season was like him, Greg Popovich's childhood. I, maybe not even then. That seems, that seems soon. That seems recent. I, I was trying to be reasonable. No, I, I think I, I agree with all of that. The name I can't get out of my head here is Eric Gordon. If you can turn that Charlotte pick and like Gallo or, or something similar into to Gordon, that it feels like it fits because he gives you, he checks all of the boxes that the Hawks are looking for. He's not an ace point of attack defender, but he can operate in that role and it's still an upgrade while also having some off ball chops. He can fill an off ball role next to Trey. He can lead some second units. It, it feels like it makes sense, but you can also make that same case for just about every team when it comes to Eric Gordon. I just, I struggle to think of a better player realistically available who can be parlayed into with just that Charlotte pick and basically matching salary. Because if you're going for, for Jeremy Grant, you're, you're giving up a piece of this core to get there. And I just, I don't know if it makes sense given how, given how hot this Hawks team has been and given the potential that we knew was lying dormant throughout the doldrums of this disappointing season. Maybe, maybe if we're really swinging for the fences, I still think that like as unlikely as it is, the Ben Simmons fit makes sense here, but I don't think it's a move you make in season. Yeah, I would agree with that. I like because you're playing so well, it's sort of like why uh, rattle the cage here. Gordon's interesting. I think DeAndre Hunter's flexibility to where he could probably guard some point of attack that and Gordon can guard up that that is good. And I'm I'm right. Uh, you're right about it should cost less than Jeremy Grant. But if if these were the options, Gallo and first, whatever first, um, or. Gallo and two first for Jeremy Grant, or Eric, it was Gallo and a first for Eric Gordon. You would pick Eric Gordon over Jeremy Grant. That's an Eric. I don't know. No, if- I, I think I would. If we're not involving another player and it's multiple first round picks, then yes, go for Jeremy Grant because ultimately this Hawks core is pretty set. There's there's only so many first round picks you can integrate into a roster, especially one that's ready to compete, coming off an Eastern Conference Finals appearance, dreaming of something even bigger. Already, like DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, Anyaka Kongwu, John Collins, Trey Young, you have your core pieces. So I think if you're if you're not giving up any of those, then you should be free to give up as many first round picks as you want to right now because you have so many young controllable assets. The interesting thing with them is they're gonna have to figure out. They just don't feel like a team that will cannonball into the tax. And so if you go from Gallo's like 5 million partial guarantee to guaranteeing Jeremy Grant 20 million or Eric Gordon, I think is in the 18s mm-hmm. or close to 20. The other thing with Gordon too, I think this could probably help good teams. And I, I would put the Hawks there. I was thinking more so the Suns uh, or I don't even know what other can, maybe they're the, but like his, he has two years left on his deal. Only one is guaranteed. And the second guarantees, if he hits a certain minutes threshold and you win the title, before that year happens, you have to then be committed to paying him nearly $20 million. Now, objectively, you're good with that. If you win a title, yes, but team governors just don't think that way. And we know it Sarver and Phoenix, that would give him pause. You told him that maybe it's the same thing in Atlanta, but I will say maybe that sort of lowers the asking price. You don't even need to give, if you don't need to give up a first round pick or a real core player to get him, then that's almost just as attractive because you're still sort of loaded. I ultimately don't expect the Hawks 
to do anything significant. If anything significant happens over the off season, uh, happens, I think it happens over the off season, not just because of does Collins become involved. They know a little bit more about the Charlotte pick, but also because you sort of figure out the Danilo Gallinari situation. Do you waive him? Do you just guarantee the contract to move it as an expiring deal? That's what I would bet on with, with Atlanta. I do think they're good enough though. or shown enough that they could be more aggressive than even the above average team on the trade market right now. My guess is that there's a little bit of regret right now that they pulled the trigger a little prematurely, a little too far before the deadline on that reddish move without getting a piece in return, and then went on this hot streak that almost no longer necessitates the move that might have been anticipated. I might still push back there just because reddish is barely playing for the Knicks in most of his performances, and they were barely playing reddish at the time. So I don't know that any I don't know that a first round pick still would have been around for for Reddish now. I don't think it's you might be right. I might be right. I I kind of feel like it's mostly inconsequential unless Reddish was going on a tear during this 10 game stretch which you know who knows if that would have happened. Let's get to my first question and I'm going to focus on the many I sent you. Let's start with the Raptors since they uh just had a thrilling win over the Chicago Bulls and are now four games over 500 for the first time all season. My question is, does Toronto buy and it's not or stamp pat? And we kind of answered this in buy, hold or sell with Grant Hughes, but they're interesting because you you don't, I think people were banking on them to be like, not a prominent, but a team that would be open to selling. And that's just off the table right now. This is, this team is too good. They are very top heavy. We talked about before the top of the podcast, Van Fleet, Siakam, and OG Ananobi are your three leaders in minutes per game for the league. For the league, your three leaders in minutes per game. And Scotty Barnes is tenth. You need to figure out a deepen. You need to figure out a way to deepen this rotation. My question is more so: Masai Ujiri is not the type of executive to aggressively try and maintain the spot in the middle or move up semi significantly. If he makes a deal, it's because he thinks this team can do something. And I'm not talking about, oh, should they consider moving Barnes for somebody or even Gary Trent Jr.? I'm basically asking, like, if you're moving Goran Dragic, are you doing it to take on a longer-term salary and get draft equity or a prospect? Or are you now moving Goran Dragic in a first-round pick to elevate your team? Maybe put yourself in the Eric Gordon discussion. Uh, maybe Karis LeVert might be a good fit here. I know people have mentioned bigs like Miles Turner, Rashawn Holmes. But are you thinking by or are you – Really, just thinking. Well, we're gonna. This is found money for us. We always kind of viewed this as our second transitional year. Uh, we're gonna stand pat. I would, I would buy, and I don't know what Goran Dragic gonna first get you, but knowing how the Raptors think, and I'm not saying this is wrong. It's a little disappointing because I predicted they'd win a playoff series. I think on the last podcast we recorded, uh, I they're probably gonna wind up just buying out Dragic and he signs somewhere. I think they should be buyers. I'm just curious as to where you sort of land on this entire situation. I'm right there with you. I. I but conditionally, I wouldn't give up more than Goran Dragic in the first round pick, a second round pick, whatever the, the pick situation may be. Because I think Toronto, as much as this is anathema to Messiah, to Messiah Jiri's typical strategies, is built to straddle the gap between two eras. It's, a, it's an intensely competitive team right now that still has a young enough core with enough upside that it could theoretically become a leading championship contender with only the incumbent pieces. I mean, if you're building around Fred Van Vliet, 
and Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam and all-star Fred Van Vliet and Chris Boucher. And you still have the potential of Malachi uh, Flynn and Delano Banton and other pieces on this roster who could still give you more. Precious Achiuwa might actually make a shot at some point. Uh, You have the ability to, to elevate your ceiling without doing anything. So it's almost inconsequential because if they do buy out Drogic, he's not providing anything right now. They're already a threat to win at least one playoff series with internal development, almost guaranteed. But I would transition from just accepting that he's going to be bought out and go somewhere to aggressively shopping him as salary matching fodder and attaching a first round pick because much like Atlanta, what are you looking to invest that first round pick on? You have so many players you're going to eventually need to sign to significant extensions that adding one more into the mix almost only complicates things. So if you can go out and get that veteran like Levert, like Gordon, if you can parlay it into Rishon Holmes, awesome, because that would fill another big need for this team. So I, I do think that they should be conditional buyers as in aggressively looking to buy but with a capped price, you know, they need to go in with a spending limit and do not draw anything more out of that ATM. I would agree. If it's in there, where, if I'm in Atlanta and I, because I think Derek white would be good for Toronto as well. Imagine Derek white leading the bench, like for this team, that would be just way fantastic. If I'm the Raptors. Yes. I give up salary, a pick, and then the young player that's not OG or I consider OG young and he's already on his second deal, but OG. Can you imagine fan fleet? OG, Derek White, and Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam playing defense together. I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, whoa. Right. And, but if I'm Toronto, uh, because of what you outlaid and because of the way the East is set up, like there's more of an opportunity for that. T- teams are on different timelines too, but because of the way the East is set up, because you're kind of still somewhere lying on Barnes, and also just Siakam's contract is two years left after this one. So you got to start thinking about his next deal. My main point is like, if I were them, yes, I'd give up a young player, a pick in Dragic, uh, or maybe even two young players. If it like, if it's Malachi Flynn and, you know, Banton plus a pick and filler, and that's the Derek White sure. structure. Yeah. But unlike Atlanta, sure. where I say, go give two picks, I wouldn't do that. I think this is also in part, they don't have any extra picks. And so like Atlanta has that Charlotte pick that they can also include. I'm with you, but I will say. And I don't know if this is an argument for or against them buying because the fact that I'm asking this so high at the top of the roster, uh, who is the seventh best player on this team? So we have Van Vliet, Trent, Ananobi, Barnes, Siakam, and Boucher are, how many was that right there? Was that? So we have their top five are Van Fleet, Scotty Barnes, Trent, Siakam, and Ananobi. I would say Boucher is pretty clearly, especially over the past like month plus. Pretty clearly number six. six. Yeah. Is it already Flynn? No, he doesn't. He barely even plays for them. Does that rule him out (laughs) given the the minute allocation here? I think like. Is it Watanabe? I mean, in theory. Throwing playing time out the, points, at, like at the at, throwing playing time out the window, I'd say Watanabe. But like, I think it speaks volumes that their seventh and eighth most played players this year are Svimakai Luke and Precious Achua, neither of whom I would say has been good enough to be considered their seventh no. best player. Now, injuries have no. factored have factored into that, but it's almost is it Drogic is is another interesting one. <laughs> just just as a trade value, that he's the only one who hasn't hurt. His trade value in certain it might be 
it could be Ken Birch too, who's been limited in his availability this year. But my point is, it's almost an argument of both sides because it's like, okay, you're so shallow, you need to deepen this. But then it's like, well, you become shallow so like this isn't. Oh, we need a ninth or tenth guy or someone who we know is going to be part of our playoff rotation as the eighth man. Like we need a sixth or a seventh guy almost. And it's like, well, what's kind of the point then? Because you're still going to have problems at eight, nine. So I could see it. That's why I wouldn't, that's why I wouldn't even want to consider moving Flynn in a package. Like, Oh, I would get it. I would, he's 100% expendable at this point to me. I, I think, I don't know that you want to do anything if it's more than Drogic and picks just because you need the bodies. You just said that you would do Flynn Benton and a pit uh, Flynn Benton and a pick for, for Derek white. As long as it's a player of that caliber, but I'm not just throwing them, them around willy nilly. So if, if the rocket said, we'll do Gordon for Dragic and Flynn. To me, that's fine. If, if you're also throwing in Banton, then it then it becomes more of an issue because you're further cutting into that depth. So it's situational, which I think you could argue is every case. So you're just like Dragic. Dragic doesn't count as a player right now because he's not playing for them. So it's once you get into including him plus two people who are actually at least somewhat in the rotation for one player that you get into tricky territory. Right. It's just when it's not one of your top six guys already, I view maybe Banton just long term as the biggest like miss there unless you still are just seeing a lot from a true I just view everyone outside of the top six at this point is eminently expendable I, w- I would be reluctant of all of them and I know he's going to be a free agent I still remain highest on uh Wantanabe so like that's where that's where I'm at with Toronto but it seems like you would be a very little on bit, brand you would be a little bit more conservative than I would approaching it I for think them. so I'm a little bit more like no just just go do it but we both in agreement that like this isn't a team unless you are for some reason acquiring a star that we don't even know is available right now you're not going the two first round picks plus salary route. No, I agree with that. Second question from me, uh, per a report from Joe Cowley of the Chicago Sun-Times, there's, quote, growing momentum, end quote, that Patrick Williams will be back in action this season. Which team is that going to be for? It's going to be for Chicago. Think- Go ahead, sorry. I mean, I was just so You got to let me keep framing this. Come on. No, I, I mean, obviously, he's such a big part of their future, and it was such a disappointment when he went down with injury early, very early in the season. But if Chicago is truly looking to go all in on this season, which you can realistically argue that it should, given the ages of the core members, it's not like Vucevic and, and DeRozan and Levine are particularly young at this point, even if there are young players bolstering their, their case to be at the top of the Eastern Conference. If you can turn Williams and Picks, because he is still going to have so much intriguing upside into a big name player who is a current contributor, are you considering doing that to make that push the chips straight into the middle of the table? We're going to win a title this season play. I'm not because the Lonzo and Caruso injuries change things for me a lot. I know they're projected to come back this season, but what do they look like when that'll be so close to the playoffs and the players you're talking about, who is the realistic best player your best package is getting you? It's probably Jeremy Grant or Harrison Harrison Barnes. And I don't, it's not that I don't think if, if Lonzo and Caruso never got injured, I might feel differently. If Io DeSumo never emerges, I might feel differently. And the fact that he can guard like 
every position. He's amazing. Right. And it's just, just in general. His defensive energy is it's a it's an injection of adrenaline. And I he's so fun to watch. And I'm not saying that he's like, oh, this fixes everything they need on the like the wing types. It I think it just buys them a little more time because this feels like a strategic leak where it's oh, because he could play again this season, he theoretically has more value. And it's like, no, the team that's acquiring Patrick Williams this season is not acquiring him at all for this season. And so to me, he has more value over the summer when teams are like, oh, we just get him and we know he's coming back right away. And the other thing with Chicago is just like the Caruso injuries, and the Lonzo injuries. I guess those would be reasons to go all in more, but I almost view it as like, all right, we need to take a step back. Let's see what these guys look like when they come back and we can re, re like reevaluate, reformulate over the off season. I also think like, can you aim a little bit lower? And you know, would you be, do you view Kobe Y has been playing amazing for like the past 20 something games or so shooting like averaging 15 something points a game and shooting a high clip from three. Do you view him as having more or less trade value than Williams? And he is extension eligible this summer. So there's one fewer year left on his rookie scale. I like, are you open to moving him? I think significantly th- less though. So yeah. And so Just it's like, to why- answer that part. And he, in theory, isn't he more expendable because you have Lonzo and Caruso and DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, assuming he comes back. And maybe it's a matter of like, let's wait. I think he will resign with Chicago. I'll make this clear. Like, let's wait and make sure Zach Levine is back and then go from there. And the other thing you just also can't, like, wing isn't the only need. They need a backup five that, like, Vucevic has been fine as a passer still and even as a screener, but, like, he's just not the same shot maker he was. And I know he's never been super efficient. This has been, like, the least efficient season of his career, basically. So I would, I might aim a little bit lower. And it's like, can you get, instead of giving up Patrick Williams, like, can you use that first round pick and end up with Josh Richardson from Boston? And like that would be sort of a stopgap move. Yeah, you lose that first round pick, but you still have Williams and White in future talks. So I would, I would toe the line, but my prediction is to your question, I would, I would be at this point, maybe not shocked because the Bulls are good. We need to mention that. So they can there and they've acted like a team that wants to win now. But given who's available and what's happened in Chicago lately, I would be a little bit surprised if Patrick Williams finishes the season on a different team. I agree with you. I thought it was an interesting thought experiment just because the Bulls are good enough that they can reasonably consider it. And to me, it's and I I love Williams's potential. I I think that he can develop into a multi-time all-star even without injury replacements factoring in. I I feel like I have to throw that in now for you. But I think it's it's more because of the limited availability on this year's trade market than anything on the Bulls' end. In a typical year, maybe without the play-in tournament, where there were more teams truly willing to sell prominent pieces than we're seeing at this season's trade deadline, this is more realistic. But to me now, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is a report that's coming out in a, in a desperate attempt to, to up his trade value to unrealistic levels, and it's not really going to happen. What would be here's an interesting question. Will Patrick Williams be a which team is Patrick Williams or is he starting next season in Chicago or on another team? Yeah, I, th- I think he starts next season in Chicago. Imagine, I, I mean, imagine him with this core, just the defensive versatility that he brings, the growing offensive game. Like, I, I he do, checks a lot of boxes for them. I do think the playoffs could dictate how they view that because if it's just clear that they're missing like more certainty he's still not providing that. Like this isn't someone who we know is a lockdown defender. You're just banking on it because of the positional spectrum he can cover, cover essentially. My next question. And I'm just, 
I couldn't figure out why you texted me Deg anything in the text because <laughs> I texted you Deg anything. Didn't realize it. So are the Pelicans going to Deg anything significant? It's do anything. And what I find interesting about this is they've been, this like isn't, they've just been pretty consistently by Bleacher Reports' Jake Fisher, by Brian Windhorse over ESPN. I think The Athletic has mentioned a few times. They're being billed as buyers. And so like, this is a team that isn't guaranteed a play-in spot. We have no idea when Zion Williamson is coming back. We know it's going to be after the All-Star break, if at all, at this point. I find that intriguing. I know they do have that huge trade exception because Mm -hmm. of the the Steven Adams trade, uh, and you're not going to have a ton of time to use that over the offseason anyway. So I would get the logic there, but they seem to be very much in the hunt for backcourt help. They've been linked to CJ McCollum. Uh, They've been linked to De'Aaron Fox. Uh, That was per Winhurst. And look, they do have a need, like they need a backcourt upgrade. Their backcourt this year ranks 29th in three-point percentage ahead of only the Thunder, and they're dead last in efficiency on on pull-up jumpers. So, and like, I don't, like, does it make sense for them to go the buy now route? And then I think people could counter with, no, you sell because you don't know what's going to happen with Zion this season. But then what and who are they selling? You're not, you're not moving Brandon right. Ingram. You're not moving Jonas Valanciunas. And then at that point, it's like, I guess you could sell low or sell medium on Akeel Alexander-Walker. You're not moving Kyra Lewis Jr. He has no trade value. Um, there's also, okay, you have Sadoransky's expiring contract. What, what can you use that to anchor to to get? I don't, I don't know what they should do, but it seems like they're prepared to be aggressive. And I, I buy the idea that they might be because David Griffin's seat has to be fairly hot at this point, just given everything that's unfolded over the past year and a half, two years. I'll buy that they'll be aggressive in the off season. And I'm sure that there's valid sources being used on, on these reports. Cause, cause Jake Fisher's, you know, sourcing and everything has always been awesome, but I just, I don't see anything actually happening for this team at the deadline in either direction, just because it doesn't make sense. You know, I, I don't know why you want to, give up the the asset equity that you have for the uncertainty of the remainder of this year if you if you knew that zion was going to be in the lineup at any point then maybe you can convince yourself that you're a team no one wants to face if you can even make it into the playoffs but when you're not even positioned for the play-in tournament right now i just i i can't see the motivation in season in the off season i think a lot changes because optimism is is refreshed and you're you're more convinced that zion is going to be a big part of the picture for the upcoming campaign you're you're trying to figure out where you can go from here because you've had a full season to look at the many many young pieces in play here i just i don't know what the motivation would be to do that right now it almost feels like you're you're limiting your options by trying to make a, a move as a buyer at a weak deadline where not too many younger players are being shopped. I would be interested. They were linked to Eric Gordon, which is functionally makes a lot of sense because of what he does. And he wouldn't hurt your defense. But why? Given, the, given the, what do you mean? Why he would help the team a lot. I think given his history, he would, the- but he, he would, he would help the team a lot, but why? Like if you have, if you add Eric Gordon to this core, like, okay, we're, we might make the play in tournament. Eric Gordon alone is not elevating this team into a position that it should be giving up things of value for him right now. But I'm saying like Eric Gordon is not a name. A CJ McCollum or De'Aaron Fox probably cost you like one of your extra first round picks or multiple of those. Eric Gordon, I would imagine would not 
like you're looking at a lower end asset. Does Houston have any interest in Nikhil Alexander Walker or Jackson Hayes? Um, so if they're willing, if like the hatchet is buried there and Eric Gordon is like likes New Orleans and they're all cool now because it's a different front. Of, I, don't, I don't fucking know. It's a different front office regime. I think he would help the team. I also like because you have that um, Stephen Adams trade exception. So what is that? Seventeen million dollars. The thing I thought about, um, and I think he just fits in to it, would be like, would you take Evan Fournier from the Knicks if you, they were just offering him under the guise that, or knowing that Evan Fournier's played really well uh, over the past however many years, you like three sure. trillion percent from three. The Knicks could stand to open up some minutes in their rotation. Um, and even if he doesn't fit, because I, I need to do the math here, it's very close. Uh, even if he doesn't fit, like you have the, I guess the salary flotsam to to really make that work. Would that be even a movie you could see where you're not giving up an asset, you're just taking on what would be a, a le- he has two years and 36.8, 36.9 million dollars left on his deal after this one yeah. versus Eric Gordon, who let's say he doesn't cost you a first round pick. It's salary plus someone like a younger player. Is that is that too much? Is the kill Alexander Walker too much? Is Jackson Hayes? No, I think if you can if you can acquire someone for that low of a cost, basically just accepting their salary into your cap space, then you can do that because we know that having better players around helps foster better player development, which is what they should be focused on. It's when we get into territory where you're moving a, a pick of significance or a young player of extreme significance that I I would be more hesitant because I just don't know that it elevates you enough this season. I would rather wait for the off season and and make the move then. In theory, someone, someone like, like De'Aaron Fox's timeline, the contract structure, that's who you would do it for. I loathe the idea of Zion, Brandon Ingram and De'Aaron Fox together. Maybe you're giving up Brandon Ingram as part of that. I still don't love De'Aaron Fox and Zion Williamson together. Not ideal. Not ideal. What's your next question? Next question is, should the Golden State Warriors finally consider trading James Weissman? You know, it's the, I feel like it's the question in the back of all the Warriors fans' minds because this team has been so good and is so obviously a title, in, uh, a title contender, especially now that it's integrating Klay Thompson back into the mix. It has Andrew Wiggins playing at an all-star level and being rewarded with an all-star starter selection. Uh, Steph Curry is eventually going to break out of the shooting slump and is showing signs of doing so. Draymond Green should eventually get healthy and has proven that he can still be a defensive linchpin when he is. The depth on this roster is just unbelievably talented at this point. Uh, the, The impact that Gary Payton has made, the impact that Otto Porter Jr. has made, this, this team is that good. And it has been able to accomplish all of that with James Weissman ramping it up for months at this point. So if you can get something of significance for it, for him, are you doing that now? You know, is, if, do you run the risk of him developing into a far less appealing asset or showing that he is not a future star if you hold on to him too long? And is this the time to do it? A wise man once said that the Warriors are hey, like, that's my joke. The war, that's why I said it because it's a very Adam joke. The Warriors are light years ahead of the game. I look, there are a couple of things you could be concerned about with the Warriors still secondary ball handling and scoring, even though you've seen the moments from Clay. You, you have Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins. What's an issue for the Warriors is they are only because you're you do have that equity invested in Wiseman, you're almost only built to make this huge trade because so many of your guys are on basically minimum contracts. So, like, and yes, Moody. 
you're not moving him. Who's a Moody has played like he's shown flashes lately too. You're not trading Wiseman or Moody or commit. You're not trading coming at all at this point. It's pretty clearly uh, at least this season. You're not trading them without getting back a, a star essentially. And some of those scenarios just don't exist. Where is the, if you want to worry about the secondary offense for golden state, who is the player you're targeting using James Wiseman as bait? I think you could have made the case and maybe now even more so because of Draymond Green dealing with his back injury that Miles Turner would have been a good fit for this team. And then he goes and has a foot injury. So now the conversation has shifted not to, okay, big guy, foot injury. What does he look like? But is he going to play this season? Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, if, if he was healthy and the cost was Wiseman and either a couple of the minimums or Wiseman and Looney, even though I think you still need bigs on the roster, I would have done it because I think, I know you liked Sabonis for the Warriors. I would argue Turner is more likely to be in a closing lineup alongside Draymond Green than DeMontis Sabonis ever would be. And so I think you could have made a case for that, but that's essentially just off the table. And I, I would absolutely move Wiseman and be more open to it than we know the Warriors are. I just, you're so good already. And the trade market hasn't developed in a way where he can either be the main return on a package um, or be part of a even larger package for a player who's worth it. And so you're almost better off not letting him play this season because then the mystery box appeal persists a little bit where if he comes back and he doesn't make any progress defensively, uh, maybe they still can't figure out a way to fit him into the offense uh, or as cleanly as they, they should have last season. Like let's sim- simplify the offense form is, is what I'm getting at. Then his trade value gets hurt on top of the injury history. Now it's at least sort of just the injury history, the NBA sample. So tiny, he could still be this, but I, I like, I, I do think the Warriors are too close-minded when it comes to the idea of improving their roster. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand why they're enamored with what they've seen from Kaminga, where um, friend of the podcast, Samus Vindiari, hosts the Light Years pod, which is great, has said that he like thinks this could be like the next Pascal Siakam type player. And so I, I totally get that. And Pascal Siakam, actual Pascal Siakam is not available unless the Raptors surprise us. If he so, was, then you're doing that move, right? Yes, the Warriors, I I would almost bet an obscene amount of money would not give up Kaminga on a Pascal Siakam deal. And I think that that, to be clear, I think that is dumb, but that is the stance I believe they would assume. And so independent of that, though, I've been very the Warriors should buy now. There's just nothing for them to buy. I think the trade deadline should be dedicated to them probably moving Bielitsa to get a roster spot so they can make a wave on the buyout market and maybe you luck into a big I doubt you're going to get a ball handler. Uh, so, and they could win the title is currently constructed if they're healthy. That's the mm-hmm. other thing that makes this so tough. But I would be in a, in a vacuum more open-minded than it's clear that they are to moving Wiseman. It just seems like every, even semi-plausible, quarter-plausible scenario on which that might have made sense. Because, you know, right now, if you're indie and you have the Turner injury and I don't know if you're going to get two first round picks from Miles Turner. They're definitely not going to be good first round picks if you get them. And so like Wiseman plus just salary framework, like that's not, that's not egregious to think about if you're Indian, you're really going to rebuild or Wiseman and like a really protected first that is just not going to be good. So if that was on the table, maybe you still consider it. But I also do think for the Warriors specifically, knowing how good Draymond can be in spurts, if not long stretches at the five, Maybe you don't want to play that best hand. And again, you're just certainly not playing it now, which might render this mood. I think your question, though, is one that we need 
to think about a lot leading into the offseason, depending on how their their year ends. If they win a title, they're probably pretty free to do whatever the fuck they want. Then it's like, oh, we already we've done it. We've bridged two errors. We have all these young guys on the roster and we just right. won a title. Who who's the worst player who you would move Wiseman for right now? The worst player? The worst I, I, player you move him for. Like Wiseman. if you're in charge of the Warriors, who's like realistically available. Like are you moving him for Jeremy Grant? Are you giving him up for Harrison Barnes? No, just because Barnes comes close, or maybe some people like Jeremy I, Grant I would. I would really Barnes. think about it with Barnes, which I don't think is going to be a popular answer in Warriors circles. But like, I would rather have that versatility on this obviously title contending roster than keep the hope alive that I can turn Wiseman into something. My whole thing, I think what also makes this tough for the Warriors is a Wiseman is like, I think he's their, what is he, their fifth highest paid player. And so like that is, his salary is not insubstantial, but if you were to go get a Harrison Barnes who is making this season, he's still over 20 this year, 20.3 million. You have to give up Looney and then someone else as well. And that's what makes it unrealistic. And so when you're saying the worst player for Wiseman, it's almost that they could afford. And it's, it's probably Miles Turner. And I, maybe that holds true now because of the, the his injury. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone springs to mind. Just like, Harrison- what, what if you can what if you can give up Looney and Wiseman to get Harrison Barnes? You waive Bielitsa with the guarantee that you're going to end up with like Paul Millsap on the buyout market. That's interesting. So it would be Bielitsa. Looney, you're essentially turning Bielitsa Green. Looney and Weissman into Millsap and Barnes. You would have to literally to make the money work with Barnes. So that would be like the yeah. three. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I would think about it. It's, I would too. The thing is though, is that you're still like, you're not set at center now. And then you're getting rid of two centers and Draymond Green and Paul Millsap are now your bigs. So it's still more tenuous. And that's why. Barnes would be interesting. Barnes would be interesting, though. Do you? Here's a question that's not part of our questions, but who do you trust more as an offensive player, Barnes or Grant? And I, I will preface this by saying I think Jeremy Grant's like on-ball attack mode is probably better than Barnes is at this point. But you can easily trust Barnes to be more of a knockdown shooter and maybe do some stuff in the post. Is it too much of a cop-out answer to, to say like it strongly depends on the situation? Like for the Warriors, I would trust Barnes more because I don't need that like single game upside that Grant brings because he's more likely to explode for like a game-winning scoring performance. And with Barnes, I know that the baseline is a lot harder, is a lot higher. And I only need that baseline when I have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole already on the roster. That's a good point. I would say and Barnes is probably the right player for the exercise. The worst player I'm giving up Wiseman for in a deal is someone who is going to be the fifth choice in our closing lineup. So like, it can't be someone who's going to be on the bench in crunch time. And you know, Draymond clay Wiggins and Steph are in your closing unit. Right. So Barnes reminds me, my, my, my rebuttal to your earlier point about Sabonis, by the way, is that he might not be a part of the closing lineup, but if he's on the, the roster, you don't need to worry about having a closing lineup. There's yeah, you do when you get to the NBA finals, like there's going to be, Are you sure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is not like adding Kevin Durant to the 73 win warriors. It's adding DeMondis Sabonis to a very good warriors team. 
that was a that was a longer question than I anticipated us uh, or discussion than I anticipated us having on that. Let's move on to the Grizzlies, who will not be part of my fifth question because ugh, maybe they should be. But I'm gonna, I want a question needs to be dedicated to the Grizzlies and even the Jazz to themselves. But I'm going to ask about the, will the Grizzlies consider making a semi substantial addition or hold serve? And by semi substantial, I don't shake your head. They have their they're like they're third in the West. They have a top ten offense and defense now. The, um, they have been proven like the vibes are great. They're so versatile. Jaron Jackson Jr. is pro- I think he would make one of my all defense teams right now. Uh, Should he's improved a great deal. I mean, there's only ten spots, and I haven't thought through it yet. Give me some like w- give me some wiggle room there. Uh, the Desmond Bain jump, even though he went for like just twos across the board on two two 2022, that's been real. Uh, Steven Adams has really helped out this team as well. Zaire Williams is looking pretty feisty. Uh, if he could play the Knicks every single night, he'd probably be a top 10 player in the NBA, apparently. My whole thing here is I understand if you're not, you don't want to get into giving up core players to go after that someone, but they don't need to do that, which is why I, my, that's my argument in favor of the buying. I know they're ahead of schedule. I know the season has found money. I know there's also the room for internal growth here, but you do have a few expiring contracts, all of whom are flight risks this summer. When you're looking at Kyle Anderson, Jared Culver, even Tyus Jones, even though he might be tougher to give up, just looking at the structure of your roster depends on who you get back. You can trade two expiring contracts plus picks, or maybe it's a pick and a Brandon Clark or a pick and Xavier Tillman. And I'm just going to use that move as an example here. If that is, if it's expiring contract, a pick and Brandon Clark for Miles Turner, and you're thinking he's like, you wouldn't, that's, that's a move that's also geared toward the future because you don't know what Miles Turner is going to do mm-hmm. for you the rest of this year. It doesn't need to be him. It could, Eric Gordon makes sense for this team. Any, the other thing is anyone makes sense for this team. It doesn't have to be someone who's going to literally be, anyone. It doesn't have to be someone who's a part of your closing lineup, although it could be, uh, because you have all this vast array of assets on different scales. So you could go, it could just be a very, like you could go after Kenrich Williams, probably without giving up a first round pick. Like definitely that, without giving up a first round pick. Well, OKC wants a first round pick, but like, because, like if you had Tillman or if it was Clark in a second for Kenrich Williams, maybe Grizzlies fans wouldn't even want to do that because the year Clark's having, but like you, my point is there are just moves on all different planes that you could make. And I would be a little bit disappointed if they don't do something. And that's just a testament to, I think they are good enough to make noise now. It's just as currently constructed. I would argue they're probably missing a very significant piece from joining the title discussion. But if you even make a medium-sized move without mortgaging your future in any way, because you have three firsts in this year's draft, um, by the way, all of which like aren't going to be that good. And yours is going to be the worst of them at this point because you're so good. So you're looking at picks just like in the, well, I guess the Lakers pick could be fairly mid-end. There are just so many things you could do that it would be nice and encouraging to see them kick the tires. And I know people will make the case against that sort of wrinkles, the chemistry, yada, yada, yada. But I think they could find someone who's more plug and play than not. And it just makes their team that much more dangerous. Before I talk about the Grizzlies at all, I just want to point out that you, you used the same noise to quiet me that my wife and I use when my toddler is talking way too much, which is roughly always and I just really appreciated that. It was a great moment. I didn't mean to be condescending about it, but I know how you <laughs> feel about the Grizzlies. And so I needed to interject and get my take off. 
No, I, I, I'm right there with you where I think that they could reasonably acquire basically anyone and it would make sense. The word you use, though, while while setting this up was vibes. And that's the only reason that I'm like slightly hesitant. I do think that the chemistry argument has validity to it because this team does play with that edge. It plays with that chip on its shoulder. You hear the, the post-game quotes from Desmond Bain, from John Morant. This team believes in itself as currently constructed. It views itself as underdogs, as up-and-comers, like bursting onto the scene in the Western Conference and thinks that it can beat anyone. And I don't know that you want to fiddle with that unnecessarily right now. So from a pure basketball perspective, from a pure X's and O's standpoint, from a basketball strategy perspective, yes, you could probably find a ton of different ways to upgrade this team without doing anything too significant. And you could also justify doing something fairly significant. This is one of those rare situations where purely for chemistry reasons, I would be hesitant to rock the boat because something special is happening in Memphis right now. I get it, but it's also like, you're going to have to make the move at some point. If it's available. You? You're, I, it, Zaire Seriously. Williams. Seriously. Like I, no, I, I, well, I do okay. genuinely think, I genuinely think that with the pieces on this roster right now, that this is a, a title contender without anything changing. Maybe not this year, but like next year, given how Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing, John Morant ascending to an unquestioned MVP candidate level, Desmond Bain becoming a realistic all-star threat, still a lot of depth up and down the roster with young pieces waiting in the wings. I I don't know that you need to make any changes for Memphis to be a a full-fledged title contender in a year or two. You have to make changes because like you have guys entering free agency, you're either going to need to pay or they're not going to come back. And if you pay them, well, sure. it's going to sure. get harder to pay your other guys. And that's what I'm saying is like, it's sort of a similar situation that the Hawks are going to eventually find themselves. They've already made one of the moves by moving Cam Reddish. There's going to have to be something like that. And unless it's because you think you're already so good, you're divesting those players into picks. And I don't think they're going to need to move Desmond Bain. My point is because you don't have to touch your three most important players. I'm going to say, you're the four most important players on this team long term. Long term are John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Zaire Williams. Like you, you moved up to get Zaire with the intention that he was going to be that swing on the wings. And if you hit on him, you have someone really special. So you don't move him for just anyone. The fact that you can do something to where maybe you're not even giving up, you're not giving up tangible equity beyond this season, really. If you're trading picks from this year and expiring salary. That's just not that up. That price of admission is too enticing for me not to want them to make even the middle end swing. And I understand why they wouldn't this year, but you absolutely need to be looking at it over the summer unless you win a title this year, which I wouldn't expect them to. And now I feel like I'm downplaying their season, but I'm really being so aggressive here because I believe in them that much. And it feels like they're so close. I wouldn't bank on it happening left alone over the next few years, but they can do futzing and fiddling to where they're either getting really close. And maybe they don't have to be the team that gets really, I mean, they've, I don't want to say lucky in the draft because they've, they've drafted pretty well, but like, you're not, you're, you're straddling both timelines. You're not waiting a few years is more, more so my point. I I think if there is a move coming, sometimes you see the trades that the front office makes and it catches the players by surprise because they didn't really know it was coming. This feels like one of those situations where the front office almost needs to go to the locker room and get buy-in from the team like at least the star players, because 
I, I maintain that the chemistry aspect is so vital here to this team's identity, because if it's not playing with that swagger, it's not quite as effective as it's been. I would, I, it's easier to do this over the off season because there's guys organically getting to free agency. But then if you do do something over the off season, it's who are you moving now? Because you've lost like the salary matching stuff, which is why, but yeah, interesting exercise. What is your next query? This is a short one because a lot of these have been longer discussions. I just want to know a number here. How many more picks are the Oklahoma city thunder going to get at this deadline? Because they already have roughly 800 over the next seven years. They're $23 million roughly below the salary floor. So they could very easily absorb into their roster just because of the salary cap space while taking picks to get like Serge Ibaka, Dario Saric, Ricky Rubio. They could also move veterans like Derek Favors, Mike Muscala, Kenrich Williams to get picks. So how many more are going to be added to the coffers? What I do think makes this interesting and $23 million below the salary floor is just wild. And I think in terms of pure cap space, they can take on 35.3 plus million in money, just sending no one out. Um, They will have to send players out. They don't have a roster spot right now, I believe. Maybe they have one. I'll I'll double check that. But that's why I'm reticent to say like plus three or four because of the roster mechanisms in this. You still need to send players out. And I don't think they're in a rush to move a Kendrick Williams or Mike Muscala because it's not like those guys are ruining their tank. And it does feel like Kendrick Williams has been very good. Mike Muscala has even been good. And like they don't have a lot of options at center or a lot of shooters on this team when you're looking at Kendrick Williams' lower volume three-point shooting. I will say, though, that they exit the deadline a plus two in in picks. A, a plus two. I'm going to say plus two and a half. Two first rounders, one more second rounder. No, you have to pick an exact. If the over under is a two and a half, are you going over or under? I'll go, go three picks. Three picks. I'll say, let me just three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They do have a roster. Be five. here an hour. No. Oh, I thought you were counting their picks. Uh, Maybe I'll go over too. Just I didn't realize they. I, why do I keep forgetting that te- this team has a roster spot? If, yeah. I'll, I'll go over to they'll finish but they just have so much money to throw around i guess what makes it tough though is they are gonna have to send out players at points or wave them and it's like who are you giving up on on this team already and so you go through like whatever but i'll i'll, I'll take the over just because it's okay see fair enough the jazz will the utah jazz go all in no no it, it just – and we touched on this in, in the last episode, more, more reacting to the Joe Ingles ACL tear. I, don't, I just don't know what that looks like. Oh, they I'll have, tell you what it looks like. It's oh, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, a 2026 and 2028 first-round pick. And you're going – For that's, what? You're Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes. That's the names Do either of them cover – so, I mean, you need – you know, Kazabuki's looked better, but you still need a backup – big man you still need wing defense you still need another offensive initiator and playmaker like i don't know that jeremy grant or harrison barnes alone covers up enough of the holes here i think that this, jeremy grant this covers me, the more i've thought about it yeah the, the more i've thought about it though like i don't know that i want to make those sacrifices knowing that if it goes poorly i'm still looking at a situation in which i have to realistically consider splitting up Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, I would almost just rather ride it out with this core. Will they even make the medium-sized swing? The Josh Richardson 
doing what's necessary to get yeah, someone I, like that's, that. Yeah, that's more likely to me. Will they do not, it? I'm asking li- you, putting you on the spot. Yes, I, I think so. I think so. That's bold I think because we see... Danny Ainge is part of that organization now, and he is the the, the caliph of, of almost. <laughs> I think we see a lot of almost on the big swings, and we, we end up seeing like more of that, that patchwork piecemeal trade. But all in, all in is a step too far for me with this this team in it in its situation. I would probably agree with you based on the players that are available on the market, but I think that their window is also so immediate, and they're going to lose Joe Ingles' expiring contract as a trade chip after this season. That you do need you need to do something. I would argue you can't win a title right now. As I would pick them as. They were higher up before the Ingles injury, but then they were also kind of, I know Rudy Gobert missed time, Donovan Mitchell, yada, yada, yada. By the way, Mike Conley's been, Mike Conley's been absurd this season. Shout out to him. I, what would you, how would you rank them on your, your title rankings right now? I'll tell you the teams that are ahead of them for me right now. It includes Memphis. Golden State. I think they're, they're falling into that, that tier just They're outside the top five is what the the issue is. They're in the teams where my jaw wouldn't hit the floor if they want a title but it would drop. I do think acquiring someone like Josh Richardson, even though he only fills one of those holes would make just a huge difference for them. Mm-hmm. If they're able to do Joe Ingles and like picks, uh, maybe Mitchell and Gobert are good. And Conley too are good enough that they can beat anyone in a playoff series. It's just, it's harder to string together the back to back to back to back playoff series necessary to win the title. And I don't, they probably care about their tax bill, which is fairly absurd. And so that's sort of a specter, like that's, that's looming in the background of all this is my point. And they do have mm. over $7 million from the Derek Favors trade exception left, but are you willing to tack onto a tax bill where you're 14.7 million over, which right. is a $27.9 million tax bill? I would be mostly with you. I, where I land on them is that this trade deadline can't pass with them doing something or doing nothing or even something tiny. Like it needs, they need a double at least. I would say between a double and a triple. Seems fair. So my final question, I want you to rank the following four teams from most likely to least likely to become full-fledged sellers. So the Boston Celtics, and I don't mean moving Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, but basically everyone else, the Washington Wizards, which does mean putting Beal back on the market. The Portland Trailblazers, which means finally moving CJ McCollum. And the Sacramento Kings, which I do not mean moving Harrison Barnes. I mean moving De'Aaron Fox. So from most likely to least likely to be a seller, Celtics, Wizards, Blazers, Kings. I'll go Blazers, Wizards, Kings, Celtics. Just the Celtics could be, you're not including Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So actually I'll say Blazers. Celtics, Kings, Wizards. I don't even know what selling looks like for the Wizards at this point. I don't even know what the Wizards are doing. To be honest. like, what is, I have you, no idea. Are you? You're Which not, is why I'm not like totally willing to to rule out a Beal move. Well, yeah, I would rule out the Beal move. That would. That's why I have them last is because of selling entails moving Beal, uh, full fledged anyway. That's weird that their selling entails moving Beal, but the Celtics selling doesn't entail moving Brown or Tatum, which they shouldn't. It. I guess it speaks more to. Washington just doesn't have a lot to sell. I mean, Kuzma and KCP have been good. The Harrell's been good. Uh, but yeah, I'd put them last if Beal's included in that. The Blazers, everyone but Dame, I would think is available, even if they're not yeah. ready to hit 
uh, the sell. I feel like the Blazers are the obvious, most likely of that group. The Kings, you can't put there because of, I don't know that they would be looking to move De'Aaron Fox as an actual seller. I think it would be part of a, as part of a buy for Ben Simmons or if there was another player that maybe a Sabonis in Indy, if, if that was something that interested them. So they do have other players where it could be Barnes, Heald, and Holmes. If they're, list- and if they're listening on all those guys, if you counted that as selling, I might vault them to the top of this list because I do think that they've reached the point where not even the fucking Kings can ignore how aimless and lost they are, that they have to do something. And that's why I would have Sacramento number two here because I do think there's at least some chance that Fox is moved in a rebuilding-oriented transaction just because it's not working again. And at what point do you have to start over again? And I just I have no idea what that front office is going to do at any point. Mike, you got to start over once before you can start over again. And that's been the Kings, what's ailed the Kings for like 80 years is their just refusal to actually start over. Who is the, if I threw these four teams plus the Knicks in here, which of those teams is more likely to make a blockbuster type move? It could be a buy or sell. I think I would, I would throw the Knicks in last in that group, honestly. To make the I, just, I do think what I think is that what does that look like right now? I think they're more my point with that is I think the Knicks are more likely to sell than the Celtics or the Wizards. I don't think they'll find a taker for Julius Randle. I think they would absolutely move him if they could. I I, I motivation, do. I'm with you. Execution, I'm not, because I just don't think that they have the pieces to actually move. Oh, I just between Alec Burks and Evan Fournier even playing. That's better. not a full-fledged selling. That's a moving off like full-fledged selling to me entails like moving your your current centerpieces. Then then you can't include Boston on this list and say that Brown and Tatum aren't available. Fair enough. Be argument. Because like fair enough. They, it's an inconsistent they, criteria. They because I would like the Knicks between Nerlens Noel, Mitchell Robinson, Fournier, Burks. I would say there's a ch- you can't move you could move Rose, but he's injured. You're not gonna move the youngsters, but like I could see them moving literally everywhere. No one's now. gonna trade for Randall. They will so, I to, I, they're not going to give you value for Randall, but if you moved, I would absolutely move Julius Randall as part of a Russell Westbrook trade. You, just, have, you want to move Julius Randall. <laughs> like yes, you're talking I'm, yourself he, into the possibility because you want to. No, I'm saying his salary is not large enough. Like it's not this, it's not albatross enough to say that he's as difficult to move as a wall or a Westbrook. He's, it's not even close. If you wanted to move Julius Randall and not give up a first round pick, like a, a buffer, I would bet that you can do that. I would bet that you could. I don't think we'll see that, but I, I, I hear you. Yeah, it doesn't. But you're asking me to rank the likelihood. I'm just right. saying, like, I would right. put them based off the criteria we had. They should sell, though, is my overarching point of all this. My final question is: Will any of these top contenders make a big move? Which one's most likely? Who has the biggest need? Need or reason to frame it that way? The Bulls, Heat, Suns, and Bucks. I'll put the Jazz and the Grizzlies in here because I do think that they belong in this sort of same tier, but then you have to throw the Nets in there. They don't really have assets. So I just want to stick to, I'll throw all the top tier contenders in there then. Of the Bulls, Heat, Suns, Bucks, Warriors, Jazz, Grizzlies, and Nets. That is eight teams. I'm not including the Sixers because the major move is Ben Simmons and it's just, it's fucking Ben Simmons. And I'll throw the Hawks in there. I'm going to go with the Bucks. Because to me, they're the obvious contender that has the obvious holes to fill and is just buoyed by the absolute superstardom of Giannis Antetokounmpo and the top end of the supporting cast. But with no guarantee 
that Brooke Lopez is going to be healthy enough to play this season. And with pieces like Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo, who could be moved as the salary matching pieces, I can see them getting in on a bigger play more so than I can the other contenders. That said, I don't know that we see those big moves of significance for the top end teams, unless we're talking about like the Eric Gordon, Karis Levert range. I, I don't know that we see the Jeremy Grant move for one of these contenders just because it, it's so hard to parse out this market because of the play in tournament. And because there are so many teams that fancy themselves contenders that we don't know whether prices are going to get drummed up or if not enough people are going to be available and wonky things happen. But I do think that because Milwaukee has the clear cut need and the ability to match salaries without losing truly vital pieces, that they are my pick here. I don't know what that move looks like for the Bucks because even on a scale of like, like what would be like what would constitute who are they moving for like does brooke lopez dante divincenzo and then whatever other i don't know if that alone that that's not enough salary i don't think to get you barnes if that's the framework are you one doing that if you're milwaukee when that doesn't address i probably would but like you're already kind of hard up for bigs now beyond portis and Giannis. do you expect barnes to play the pj tucker five man type role Absolutely. And I think you, you expect Giannis to spend even more time at the five in the, in the, in the postseason. I do Plus Bobby Portis. We have seen some limitations to that defensively just because he's best when he's roaming. And even when he's playing next to Bobby Portis, Bobby Portis is not Brooke Lopez. Uh, and look, the Bucks, they're still, I think they're still top 10 defense on the year. I haven't checked in a, a couple of days. They might've dropped out. I, the other thing is though, I'm not doing that deal from Sacramento because Steven Chendel has been injured and is entering restricted free agency. What is like? What is that package getting you though? Is like who is the best player that package is getting you? I would almost argue it wouldn't constitute a big move. And again, that's why this is so tough in oh, general I, because I just I don't know that the big moves are out there. I, I mean, like to me, like Phoenix is the most likely to make like an Eric Gordon level move. Way to steal my answer. I think just to make it clear, Eric Gordon is shooting forty four plus percent from three putting an obscene amount of pressure on the rim. And He's playing awesome. Fairly good defense We've here. sung his praises so many times on this that, podcast. That qualifies- like, I'm not trying to downplay his impact, but I don't think that he's a significant enough name right now to qualify as like a blockbuster trade. I would say if you're, if we frame this in terms of who is, which of the main contenders would be most willing or most likely, or has the most reason to give up a first more than one first round pick. So it's a first round pick and a prospect or a first round pick and another first round pick. The equivalent of, let's say two first round picks or just the equivalent of more than one first round pick. I would say that it's going to be the Suns and then the Jazz would be number two for me because I think those teams sense there's urgency in Utah. I'm with you on that. There's not as much urgency in Phoenix, but at the same time, it's the same urgency because Chris Paul has yet to miss a game. You're this good now. You do have the younger pieces to still be good later, really kind of unlike the Jazz. But like you're the best team in the NBA right now. So those are the two teams that stand out to me as the answers to this question. This is the bonus question. Well, the best the best team in the NBA aside from the Hawks, because we're recording this right after a Hawks over Suns win. The, you know, the Hawks, if we were going to throw them into this discussion, which I guess I kind of did, I almost want to pick them. But I think that if push came to shove, even if it was for Derek White, I think that they would just get like asset pocket shy. That's just my guess with them. I do too. I, I think the Hawks are the most likely to come out of nowhere and make like the Ben Simmons move. Yes. The, and which leads us to our bonus question. 
Who is the, I don't know if you want to make this a prediction, but who is the best player that is most likely to get moved at the deadline? And I'm going to put Ben Simmons. Oh, let's draw most likely. Let's call the shot. But who's the best player to get let's, moved? Let's do, all right, fine. Uh, who is yours? I don't think Jeremy Grant moves. Whoa. I, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I, was I, just, say I, that- I don't feel like the market is, is set up for it right now. So my, my answer is going to be Eric Gordon. My point was that you're pretty low on who the best player to be moved is going to be. If you think it's Jeremy Grant, was my point. You're just so I'm staring even lower at me. Than you so do you disagree I'm or even not? Lower than you? Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that that assessment. I just I think this is one of the more boring deadlines we're going to see. I get that. I'm going to say I'm going to call. I'm going to say that it's De'Aaron Fox. The Kings are either wow. gonna, the Kings are either going to do the Ben Simmons dance. Or they're finally going to lean into the rebuild. Um, I, but if if it's going to do the Ben Simmons dance, I should probably pick Ben Simmons. But I, yeah. think, I do think De'Aaron Fox is more likely to be moved in other scenarios, whereas Ben Simmons, it seems like Philly is they need the they need a star coming back or something like something that's going to wow them. If there was just a name that no one's talking about, that's really good that you could just see coming out of left field. That, that might just shock every. Like, I feel like there are one of those like Vooch going to Chicago last mm-hmm. year kind of came out of nowhere. Would there be any name that springs to mind for you there? On the spot, I have not. I, I this is not a premeditated answer. The first name that is popping to mind is Malcolm Brogdon. Can't be moved because there's an extension. So please try again. Fair enough. It is no longer Malcolm Brogdon. Um. I, do you have one? You oh. spend a lot more time thinking about trades than I do. Yeah, I think so. The easy answer would be because the only people who hence, talk about hence me saying Brogdon. <laughs> the easy answer is Derek White because we're the only one. We're the only people who spend time talking about. But he's already been mentioned on this I'm podcast saying, multiple times. So that doesn't I'm count. Saying, I'm, I want a name who has not been mentioned I'm, to this I'm, point. I'm about to give you one if you let me speak. I said I would say Derek White because only we talk about him, but we talked about him, so I won't say Derek White was my point. I I could see like a Kristaps Porzingis trade happening. I could also see the Nets moving on from Kyrie Irving or James Harden. Hmm. That would be like the this that season's kind of imploding. Maybe they just decide to do the Ben Simmons deal now. Maybe they just maybe they find out that the Kyrie Irving vaccine mandate is never going to be lifted. It's not a Kyrie Irving vaccine mandate, but the vaccine mandate in New York is never going to be lifted. I wouldn't put that high, but I could just see looking at Dallas's situation where they're just like they've gotten solid. Their defense is great, but like, they're still, they don't have a ton of assets and they're still kind of just far away from the top. I could just see a Kristaps Porzingis trade kind of materializing. That's interesting. I, I, I could see it too, just because of Dallas's situation. Another name that we just didn't mention, but I think could factor into the trade deadline is Terrence Ross. Not, that's not a big enough name for this exercise. It's not. No, no, it, it, it does not qualify as the answer to this question. I'm just, as I'm scrolling through these depth charts, it jumped out as like a guy who does reasonably fit with a lot of teams, can reasonably be had, but we have not mentioned his name at all on this podcast. Three more names that I think could qualify. Smart. I do think he's been talked about in circles at least more. I, I feel like that's more of an offseason season. I think like him and Brunson have been mentioned enough that I didn't really consider them. What about Norman Powell? Yeah, I mean, insofar as like everyone on the Blazers is available, <laughs> but I, I don't. Is everyone on the Blazers like his is the name that comes up the least 
among yeah. the non-Dame players. Even Dame's name comes off more than him. The I guess one that could like real. Oh, here's the one: the Jonathan Isaac trade. Orlando mm. decides like he's so limited offensively. We've got Wendell Carter Jr. We have Chumo Kiki. Jonathan Isaac is a defensive system unto himself, but now he's going to be like basically not playing basketball for two full seasons at this point. I could just see like, is that they're, they're like selling low to kind of stock up their asset to a team that's not as invested in this season. You look, you're laughing at me, but the, if I'm no, no, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I'm so far on the other end of the spectrum with respect to this year's trade deadline. We're just the topsy turvy nature of the season because of the coronavirus pandemic that is ongoing. The, the many, many teams in each conference that are in contention for the play in tournament. I just, I do not anticipate that much significant movement. I do, no, 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 no. I'm going to be clear. I don't, but I'm saying if that left field big name trade happens, I'm trying to identify the names Sure. That, then we can take a victory lap because they were mentioned on this podcast, but you've been shitting on every single one that comes out because you're trying to make it too real by saying, I don't expect it to happen. I'm not making predictions. I'm just saying- And I have no imagination. We've established this. Yes, uh, absolutely. You have, your imagination is really holding this podcast back. I think that's a good place to end it uh, because Adam is making me sad and I can, feel, <laughs> I can feel the creative juices just being drained from my body because Adam is being so rigid right now. Follow us. Wherever you consume your podcast, subscribe if you haven't already, especially if you've made it this far and have not subscribed yet. Uh, we do a pretty good job covering the NBA around these parts. So I do say so myself. Discord, join it. The link is in the podcast description. We're already having some fun in there and, and discussions, but we'd like the community to get larger. Follow us on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up at Hardwood Knox on Twitter, at Hardwood underscore Knox on IG. Also, you can leave a rating on Spotify. And even if you don't use Apple, you can leave a rating and a review. I would just like to point out, I do check. We have so many fewer ratings and reviews than podcasts that I know for a fact because I've seen the download numbers on them, uh, having been in a former position to doing so, that just have more ratings and reviews than us. That's just not a great look. That does help with the charts and exposure. We really work hard to be as, as least insufferable as possible around these parts. Help us out. Throw ratings and reviews everywhere that you can and subscribe if you haven't already. And retweet our promos that are on Twitter. Tell people about our podcast. Shout us out on Twitter. Quote, record our clips and put them on Twitter and we'll retweet them if you tag us. Uh, anything to help. I don't want to say that we deserve it because we deserve absolutely nothing. But if you if you could do that anyway, we'd really appreciate it. Um, follow all the, the Sports Math Network accounts. At NBA underscore math is the big one right now. At the Sports Math. What is Sports Math now? At Sports Math Net. At Sports Math Net. Sorry, I got that wrong. That is also in our podcast description. So follow all our social media accounts through the podcast description. Follow all of them. Thank you, as always, for listening to us. This is fun. We have a bunch of like last minute trade deadline content coming. And then Adam and I will be doing the trade deadline grades that, that night to coming live for you either late Thursday or they'll definitely be out by Friday. We're excited. And then we get to move on to like a post deadline world. However, until next time, we leave you to shout out to one, the only, the real star who could come out of left field, be traded, and change the trajectory of a team's entire season for the better, Frank Nielakino. <laughs>